Good morning, church family. I don't normally wear glasses. Um, these are computer reading glasses, and I'm wearing them for a purpose. But my memory's not always so good, especially when I get excited about God's Word. And so if I forget to tell you why I'm wearing these by the end of the sermon, you are responsible to ask me, why are you wearing those glasses? Okay? So um, last week we began uh, an exciting, uh, I think, short series of sermons on uh, this, this idea from the book of Ephesians where Paul talks to the church about growing to maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we began to marvel at how God's destiny, his plan, his goal, his work in each one of our hearts and our lives is to shape and form and mold Jesus in us and us in him until we reach this place of the full measure of Christ. It's kind of, kind of jaw-dropping. And um, you all know that if you're regular worshipers here, that I love to teach. But on on the way home last week, I I lamented to Anne, my wife, something that I've lamented multiple times over the years, and that is that one of the things that's difficult for me about preaching, as opposed to teaching, is that I don't get to dialogue with you. I don't get to hear your questions. I don't get to find out, how is this landing? Is this connecting? Um, And that felt particularly difficult for me last week as I was talking about just what I felt, just how hopeful and how encouraging this is that we get to hear that God's stated intention for every one of us, the thing that he wants to do in our life, that he's working towards is forming Christ in us. Because every one of us, I believe, in our heart of hearts, wants the fruit of that. We talked about all the attributes of Christ, his peace, the fullness of love that's in him, the wisdom of God. And if you could imagine what it's like to live a life with all that Christ is and has, being your experience, you'd go, yeah, I want that, right? And so uh, um, sometimes, I'm switching gears for a quick sec. They they say that you only remember 5 to 10% of what you hear when it's taught to you, but that you remember 90% of what you teach. I found that to be true, but what I've also found to be true is that sometimes you remember the 90% because it comes clear to you before you teach, and sometimes you remember the 90% because it comes clear to you as you teach. Those are the more difficult times for the teachers. And that was, that was for me last week. I, I felt like I'm still wrestling to communicate the depth and the beauty and the hope of this. Again, that God said, this is what I want to do in each one of your lives, and nothing can change that or take away from it. The only ingredient that's, that's, that's in, 
necessary for this to happen is for you to be aware and involved. So you don't resist my purposes, but you cooperate with my purposes. If you know what my purposes are, you can work with me. And so we ended the sermon last week by talking about how, looking at the example of David in the Old Testament, in, in absolute miserable circumstances that almost anybody else would have given up in, and we said, and we saw him strengthen himself in the Lord and then go on to this mighty victory where he gained back everything he'd lost and some. And we said, now how does a person do that? How does one strengthen themselves in the Lord? And that's what we're going to begin to look at because the same way you strengthen yourself in the Lord, and it's the Lord doing the work as you strengthen yourself, let's be clear, but as you do that, that's how Christ gets formed in you. That's how you grow up in Him and become like Him. And so we're going to have a, a number of messages on what are the tools that God's given us that are involved in, what, what do we turn to? If I'm in a spot of hard, I'm in a spot of difficult, I'm in a spot of darkness, I'm up against a wall, I've got pain, I've got trial, big or little, how do I strengthen myself in the Lord? And this morning we're going to look at one tool that stands above them all. Now, what, you, what we're going to find is that each of the tools are interrelated. And you're going to hear that as I preach this morning, because I'm going, to, I'm going to start naming other ones. There's a flow between them. They work together, but there's one that stands above them all. If this one is not present, you can't engage the other ones. So what's this one? I'm going to read four scripture passages from Hebrews, Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. From Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ephesians 4.23 Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Colossians 3.10 Put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Some of you will remember that several years ago, uh, in the summer of 2019, I, was, I preached a short series on the dynamics involved in working with God or cooperating with the Holy Spirit 
And um, in the sermon on faith clothed with obedience, I told two stories, intentionally contrasting them so that we would see that the results aren't always the same. And I told two stories of praying for a person who had died to be resurrected from the dead. And one was a story of a young girl, uh, Olive Kaigenthul, I think was her name, from the Bethel Church family in California, who died suddenly, and her um, family in the church prayed for days with faith for resurrection. And the Lord, in that circumstance, chose not to resurrect her from the dead. The other story I told was the story of Joyce and John Smith. And I want to retell that briefly. Um, They are six hours from here in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, since preaching that sermon, I've been able to do go back and do more research, more reading, and to read one of those like Hollywood versus the facts investigative articles to find out how does the story in the movie actually line up with what really happened and um, to find out that it lines up quite closely and actually errs on the side of caution. So here's what happened uh, in that story. John was on the ice um, on a lake that was melting with a couple of friends, fell through the ice, all three of them did. Two, the other two friends managed to claw their way out. John didn't. He drowned. He was on the bottom for 14 minutes before he was found by a rescuer who felt a, a prompt of the Lord to go a different direction and drug, drug, his, drug his body up. He was taken by paramedics to the hospital and was uh, without a heartbeat for 58 minutes completely dead, declared dead. They called his mother. She came to the hospital. Her name was Joyce. And as she entered the room, they said to her, this is where he is. They'd all stopped working. He was lying on the table dead. Uh, and they said, you may go over and say goodbye to your son You know, before we take his body, do an autopsy, etc., etc. And she walked over. I'm just going to use you, Bill, for a minute. And we're going to pretend you're, you're John. She walked over to him. And she put her hand on his foot. And she said, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come please give my son back. And the moment she finished speaking, the monitor went beep and a heartbeat came on. And he began to beat. And the doctors went and started attending to him. And then they said to her, this, this appears to be a miracle, but your son will be completely brain, brain dead. Don't count on anything. Nobody's ever come back from this type of thing, and they don't. The water wasn't cold enough. He's not, he didn't freeze. Your, your son will never be normal again. And 14 days later, he walked out of the hospital in his own strength with no damage of any kind done to him. Yeah. Praise God. Yes. Here's the question I want to ask. If it had been me, if I'd gotten the call and it was one of my children, if you'd gotten the call and it was your child, your grandchild, your spouse, your friend, your sibling, and you were told, you're the first one there and you were told, this has just happened, you may go say your final goodbyes. Do you go over to the bed And start to weep and to grieve, which are appropriate reactions. 
And does that person live? Or do you go over to the bed and do you say, come Holy Spirit. Do you look at death? He was certainly dead. And do you still see a possibility for God to work and call on Him? What happens if it's you or if it's me in that situation? How did Joyce, this is an ordinary woman with an adopted son, a single mother in St. Louis, Missouri, just like you and I. But she walked into that room and she did not go and immediately start wailing and grieving. She didn't hear the news and accept it as certain there was something else that was at work in her, upon her, through her, and that something was faith in God's ability to bring a redemptive solution in that moment, not in history, but right then and right now. She wasn't certain that he would, she just knew that he was able to, and so she called on him to do that. How do you get to the place where you are met with something so certain, so cold, so heavy, so grievous, and your response is to walk up to the person who's dead and say, Come Holy Spirit, please give my son back. When she was asked how she got to that place, she said, For years, I studied the Bible every day with this group, I can't remember the name of the group, and every day before I study the Bible, I pray, and every day I pray the same prayer. I say, I pray, God, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you do. I am who you say I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to look at three words in there really briefly. The word conformed means... uh, Allow yourself to be fashioned or shaped. So Paul's saying, don't let yourself be fashioned or shaped by the world. Don't let yourself be fashioned or shaped by people who don't know God, who don't know what He's like, who don't know what He's done, who don't know what He's able to do, who don't live with a certain knowledge of His abilities. Don't let yourself be shaped by that narrative. But instead, be transformed. And the word he uses here is metamorpho, which, you know, we think about metamorphosis, like a a, a caterpillar, thank you, being turned into a butterfly, right? But this wholesale change. And what's interesting about that word is it's the exact same word that's used to describe Jesus when he goes up the mountain with his disciples And it says, he is metamorpho. He is transfigured. Exact same word. So Paul's saying, 
Don't let yourselves be shaped by people who don't know God, but instead, like your Lord, be transfigured, be changed. What does he say to the Corinthians? We move from glory to glory as we behold his glory. You be transformed, you be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. And that word renewing is the same word that would be used to talk about renovating a house. You wanted to take out some things and move some things around and change it, you'd, you'd use the exact same word, renewal. I'm renewing the house. I'm renovating it. So Paul's saying, your mind needs to be renovated. And he says, in view of God's mercy, he's just finished talking for many chapters to the Romans about the gospel. In view of the gospel, in view of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and you are one with him. This is why he says to the Ephesians, I pray that you know the resurrection power of God that is in you. Your mind needs to be renewed by that. Because what it means that you are joined to him and he's defeated death and Satan is that he has a redemptive solution or possibility for everything and anything that you and I face. There is nothing that we can face that he does not have some redemptive possibility for. So Joyce has had for years had her mind and her heart as she studied the word of God renewed. It's like she's the scripture talks about being washed by the word of God, she's had washed from her preconceptions of what God is or isn't or what he's like or can or can't do. But instead, the scriptures have told her, you have a living God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is what he was. He does what he did. He's able to do all things. And you're able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. She's been transformed. She has a living faith in a living God. Now, I'm really emphasizing this big example of death and resurrection. Not because I think we all live into that example day by day. But because the dynamics of it are at work. The same principles underneath it or dynamics in that story are at work in your life and in my life every day, all day long. We face things. We don't get a job we wanted. We don't get chosen for something. Our car dies and we don't have funds. We lose a relationship we want. People in our lives that we want to be in relationship with do stupid things, hurtful things. We get a diagnosis we don't want. We got hard family dynamics that may not seem to be changing. We've got hundreds of smaller difficulties. In this world, you've got trouble, says Jesus. Like understatement of forever, right? We face things, we lose things, we experience things, and here's what happen, happens every time one of those things happens. Each of those things is just as real as the death. And 
through those things, what comes to us, in death what comes to us, weight, heaviness, grief, pain. Through the various difficulties we experience, little, medium, big, what happens is there's always an attempt to overcome our soul with weight, with heaviness, with something that burdens, that creates bitterness, resentment, takes away life, wounds, ways. And there's always the choice on our part. Do we recognize this is happening to us? And how will we respond? Do we let those things cover us? Do we let them clothe us? Do we let them define us? Do we let those things which come and Satan works through them, he's always working to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's always working to dampen. He's always working to mute. For believers, he's always working to discourage, to sadden, to make... He wants to render us ineffective and he does it by stages or steps. And so he's always working through the events and circumstances. And as these things come, how do we respond to them? Do we let them define us? Do we let them move our speech and action? Or do we turn to the God of all hope with faith? Faith says there's nothing, not one thing that I can experience that you don't have a redemptive solution for. It doesn't say I don't experience hardship. This is not a get you out of hardship sermon. Faith says there's not one thing There's not a loss I can experience, a pain that can happen to me. There's not a disappointment I can have. There's not a person in my life who won't, who, 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 uh, I'm thinking about relationship difficulty, right? And the way that, uh, we try to navigate it with grace. We pray for people. We pray for relationships. But you can do that and the other person cannot respond because they may not be listening to the Lord. And we don't control people. We can't control people. And so, and so what happens when you're praying in a certain situation and somebody doesn't change? Are you just a victim of their inability, unwillingness to change? And God says, no, not if you turn to me. Not if you come to me with faith. I always have something for you. I'm always working for your good. But you've got to turn to me and you've got to do it with an attitude of faith. You have to believe that I have something for you, something to strengthen you, something to give to you, something to help you, something to minister to you, something to go through you. I've something to protect you. I've always got Something for you. Never a situation. And so the renewed mind 
the transformed, transfigured mind is the one that lives in the place of faith towards God in all things. Let me give you a couple of examples of what this um, has looked like for me. And then we'll move toward wrapping up. Uh, 2013, I was scheduled to fly to Edmonton, Alberta to teach my second Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit conference. Showed up at the airport in Grand Rapids. And they said your flight to Minneapolis is delayed substantially. It doesn't look like you're going to make your connection from Minneapolis to Edmonton. And I, I knew God had called me there. And so I, I said, Lord, I need, uh, I need, I know you're calling me. I need, I need a scripture from you right now. And immediately into my mind came Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. So I said, Lord, I trust you to get me there. You called me there. And, um, I sat down and I began reading from Isaiah 26 and I read Isaiah 26 to 32 and by the time I'd gotten to 32 my plane was more and more delayed I had more and more faith but my plane was more and more delayed and they called me back up and they said you're not going to make your flight you're definitely missing it we need to reroute you you're going to go from Minneapolis to Seattle from Seattle to Kamloops British Columbia from British Columbia back over to Alberta and it's going to take all night and you're going to be a day late I said maybe and I got on the plane to Minneapolis and God placed across the road from me a young Christian couple. And we got to talking, and they were really curious, what are you doing? And I started explaining it. They started asking questions. They were hungry, so I started teaching them. I taught them the book on the flight to Minneapolis. And we got to Minneapolis, and we just had this sweet time of fellowship. We prayed together, holding hands across the aisle on this airplane. We pray. I prayed for them, and, and I said, would you pray for me that God would work a miracle? I don't know what it's going to be because they said my flight's gone already, but would you pray that he'd work a miracle so I could get to Minneapolis? And you'll know that, if, that he answered because I was, they were going to Seattle, so I was going to be on the flight with them if I, if I didn't make it. So I got, got to the airport in Minneapolis, went to the desk, uh, looked at the screen, and uh, it there's no flight, so I go to the desk and they go, oh yeah, that flight's already taken off. You missed your flight. You need to get on one of them red phones and ask an agent for to get rebooked. And I was like, okay, well, God's going to get me there. I pick up the phone. I start having a conversation. And uh, I say, they say, you know, where do you need to go? I say, I need to go to Edmonton, Alberta. And then the guy behind the desk goes, wait a minute. Did you say Edmonton? I said, yeah. He said, I just heard over the radio that that flight's turning around in the air and coming back. I said, really? He said, don't get too excited. The chances of them opening the door for you are slim to none. I said, I don't think so. (laughs) He said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll walk you down to the gate and I'll ask at the gate and we'll just see what they say. So I said, thank you very much. So we walked down to the gate. The gate agent said, well, I'm willing to let them in if the pilot will open the door, but we have to ask the pilot. And so down they go and they ask the pilot and the pilot said yes. (laughs) They had a little light go off on the plane that made them have to come turn back. I got to share the gospel because of that with the gate agent. It was incredible. And it happened. I'm I'm sharing you a positive example. I got lots of negative examples too, okay? Okay. (laughs) Lots of them. Uh, You don't need to hear those right now. But it happened because of a renewed mind, an attitude of faith that said, God, 
I know you called me. I know there's a way. It might not look like what I think it's going to look like, but you have a way, and I'm calling on you right now to make a way. And it's that reaching out to him, that turning to him, that, that, that enables him to respond. You can see how we're already moving into the, 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 the gift of prayer that he's given us. We'll get, we'll get there. But you've got to start with a renewed mind, faith toward God. He's only good. He's fully good. He's only fully good to me all the time. And circumstances want to tell me different. They want to get me questioning, right? So I'll give you an example of how this plays out and then, um, and then we'll talk about nurturing this faith. You know my brother-in-law died of cancer last year at 45 years old. And ahead of his death, Pastor Gina and Anne and myself fasted for three weeks on a three-day rotation, praying fervently. Each one of us would fast one day, and then it was the next person, the next person's turn. And Mary and Nancy joined us, and a couple of Anne's sisters joined us, and we prayed with faith larger than a mustard seed. And God's redemptive solution in this circumstance wasn't to remove his cancer. He had other ways that he worked. But what happens when you pray that way, you pray with faith, you engage God, and you don't get the answer that you're looking for, is it is so easy for disappointment to settle on your heart And for you to develop a working subconscious theology that is formed by your experience more than the word of God. That dynamic happens all the time. Much, much more than we're aware of. We come into agreement with things because of experiences we have, not because of what the word of God says. And if I'd come into agreement, if I had let disappointment settle on my heart, I I prayed that hard, I fasted, I gave everything, and God didn't heal, then I'd stop praying for healing. And then, somebody I prayed for this week, on Thursday, wouldn't have received physical healing. But somebody did on Thursday through my prayers because I'm operating by faith in God's word and in God's character and and trusting results to God. He doesn't promise he'll explain himself. He doesn't promise an answer for why he does everything he does. I don't get to ask and get those answers. Sometimes he may give them. What he calls for is trust in him as he's revealed himself through his word. And so what we want to develop in ourselves is the the faith of Jesus in the word of God. A renewed mind. Where's Lori? 
Lori, you talked about God downloading things to you. He's growing you. He's revealing himself to you. Like Paul, I thought of Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. That's what we want. That's a renewed mind. My, my thinking is so influenced, so shaped, not just at a cognitive level, but so my whole being, my heart, everything about me is shaped by what God reveals about himself in his word. How do I get that kind of faith? Paul tells us very clearly in Romans 10, two chapters earlier, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And he's talking at that point about salvation, but the principle is true for all things. So very simply, how does faith come? Faith comes, it's generated by the Spirit as we come to the Word. So it's kind of, you see the chicken and egg circle, right? You've got to start somewhere. You've got to come to the Word with an attitude of faith, asking for more faith, asking that your mind be renewed so that you can say and act and believe, God, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you do. I am who you say I am. I can do all things. Everything you're calling me to through, through Christ or by Christ's strength. So that you and I are the people that can, when God wants to, walk into a hospital room or a bedroom or an office and lay a hand on and say, come Holy Spirit, please give my son back. Because you know what? Apparently, on that day, it was God's will to raise the dead. See, Paul says, when you have a transformed mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What does God want to do? Now, you might know his His will in general as revealed in Scripture. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. Love everybody as yourself. Yes. But what about the expression of that love in particular circumstances? It certainly was an act of love and faith to put a hand on her son and say, Come Holy Spirit. You know the will of God by having a renewed mind. And a renewed mind comes through the, the washing of the word and an attitude of faith. So, I'm going to close with this. Um, I want to offer you what is on your seats. This is called uh, Thank You, Father. And this is a prayer that I wrote a number of years ago so that I could practice this. And it is entirely scripture. So you can't, uh, we, we removed the scripture references from your sheet so it would fit on one page, two sides. But if you look at mine, here's a third one with 68 footnotes. And Mark is going to make this one available on our blog. On, on, I know you can't see all the footnotes, but trust, there's 68 scriptures. The prayer is scripture start to finish. Okay? Took me one eight hour day in the presence of the Lord asking him to give scripture that I could pray over myself to renew my mind. And I want to give you an encouragement on how to do this. You don't do it rotely as an exercise of just doing it without 
um, considering where do you meet resistance. So the way that I would pray this is I'd pray it slowly and I'd pay attention to does my own heart agree with this fully. And I ask for the Lord's help in that. And whenever I would sense, I don't sense there's full agreement, I'd stop and I'd meditate on that scripture, on that truth, and I'd ask the Lord, renew me, renew my mind, renew me. So let me just give you an example of how I pray this, and then I'll close. I'm, I'm starting the fourth full paragraph. Thank you, Father, that because of your unchanging nature, you love me just as much when I'm acting in angry, sinful, selfish, and destructive ways as you do when I'm reflecting your nature. That's called unconditional love. And I'd ask myself, do I believe that? When I look at messy me, when I look at me and my foolishness or my stupid mistakes or the ways I treat people sometimes and how ashamed I am of myself, do I still think he, he loves me with the same love? I don't always, but he does. So I just stop there and I ask, Lord, renew me. You don't relate to me on the basis of my performance. You relate to me on the basis of who you are. You are love and you've demonstrated that at the cross. Okay, and I, so that's, and I just keep going. So then keep going. Your love never changes. You've made an eternal covenant of peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Thank you for showing me what your love looks like. As Jesus, who's the exact representation of your being, laid down his life so that I may have life that's eternal and full. I think that's enough of an example. I'll let you read through it at home. But I'd like to ask you to stand and I'd like to pray for this renewing of the mind and this increase of faith for, for each one of us. Thank you! Thank you. What's your name? Mason, thank you. I'm wearing the glasses to remind me and us that God has a redemptive solution or possibility for every situation. They are my filter, my lens. And I need to learn to see everything through this lens. If I don't have that lens, I've lost sight of the gospel, I've lost sight of hope. The reason Paul says that God is the God of all hope, that he's a God of eternal hope and good encouragement, is because of a redemptive lens. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay, God, thank you. Thank you that you never stop um, changing us to become like you. And we want to invite, Holy Spirit, we want to invite your renewing work of our minds, specifically our minds, that we would grow up in fullness into the mind of Christ that is ours by being in him. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we would not only grow in faith, but we would be able to exhibit the fruit of faith in all things. That we would be your servants who bring and bear out your redemptive solutions in all kinds of difficult circumstances because the ears and the eyes of our hearts are attuned to you and to what your word says. 
Use us, Lord, and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.